Support for this episode of Good One comes from the Wondery Podcast WikiHole. You know what a WikiHole is. We've all been there. You look up a certain celebrity to see how tall they are and whether they've said anything cringe about vaccines. Before you know it, you're 10 minutes into reading about something called a toast sandwich. That's basically what it's like to listen to WikiHole, only funnier. Every episode is a new rabbit hole to explore with host Darcy Carden and her favorite comedian friends, loaded with unforgettable new information you'll literally never need to know. And that's why it's great. Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Hello and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. This week's guest is Jinx Monsoon, winner of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 5, and as of this summer, the Queen of All Queens, a title she earned by winning the recent all-winner season of Drag Race All-Stars. I've wanted to have a Drag Race winner on the podcast for a while now, because though there are so, so many skills and abilities necessary to win that show, it's also arguably a comedy competition. The winner often needs to be able to have a clear, dynamic, unique comedic voice, and also the design and makeup skills necessary to bring it to life. And of everyone who has ever appeared on the show, very few can match Jinx Monsoon at this. This episode, we're going to be specifically focusing on Jinx's mastery of Snatch Game. For those unfamiliar, the Snatch Game is a drag race tradition in which the queens have to prepare an impersonation and compete in a version of the match game. But really, they're being judged by their ability to improvise with RuPaul in character. Jinx's season 5 winning version of Little Edie from Great Gardens has, has always been considered one of the best ever, up there with Alaska's Lady Bunny and Mae West, Bob the Drag Queen's Uzo Duba and Carol Channing, and Ben Delacreme's Maggie Smith and Paul Lind, to name three queens Jinx references in the interview. But with this season of All-Stars, Jinx brought the form to a new level. Unlike the usual one, this time the queens were asked to prepare two impressions. Jinx's first, Natasha Lyonne, was great. It was lived in surprisingly understated for a Snatch Game performance, but it was the second impression that everyone could not stop talking about. Jinx's Judy Garland is one of the great impressions ever caught on TV, up there with any great comedic impersonation on SNL or other sketch shows. Side note, Jinx has a sketch series of her own coming out on World of Wonder Plus this fall. We're going to start with that Snatch Game performance. Uh, we, We actually cut together just Jinx's parts, but we also included a YouTube link in the show notes if you want to see how she transformed visually and also see how everyone else did. So here is Jinx Monsoon. Almost live from Almost Hollywood, it's time to play the All-Stars All-Winners Snatch Game. And here's your host, RuPaul. Welcome, everybody. Let's meet tonight's Snatch Game contestants. She's People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive, <laughs> Michelle Visage. Hi, everybody. Hi. He's Playboy's Playmate of the Year, <laughs> Ross Matthews. Uh, I demand a recount. 
Are you ready to meet our celebrities? Yeah! Now, our very own Russian doll. It's Natasha Leone. Hey there, Boo. You know, we did that flick together. That's right, we did... Yeah. Uh, Don't uh, tell Mom the cheerleader's, the cheerleader's a lesbian. Yes, exactly. Like yeah. Good film. Yeah. I quit smoking today. Oh, you did? Mm -hmm. Well, what are you smoking? A uh, cigarette. Yeah, I didn't say it was going well. <laughs> All right, contestants, are you ready to play Snatch Game? Yes. Yes. All right, this next question is for Michelle. Okay. Bianca Del Rio is so lucky. How lucky is she? Well, she recently hosted the Westminster Dog Show, and she ended up winning the award for Best Blank. Bitch. Best bitch. All right, let's go to our celebrities and see what they wrote. To Natasha Leone. Yeah. We're looking for bitch. Do you have a bitch? No, I said uh, best breeder. Best you know, breeder. Bianca's a top. Yeah. And uh, she's also petite. Oh, yeah. okay. And tiny tops, it cracks me up. Yes. Like, imagine uh, Jada Essence Hall topping Monet Exchange. That would be <laughs> hilarious to see, you know? Like a four-year-old trying to move a couch on a rug, you know? Somehow I can't get that picture out of my head. It'll haunt you, right? <laughs> now that buzzer means we are out of time, but don't oh. go away. We'll be right back with a whole new galaxy of stars. You stay right there, all right. Welcome back to the All-Stars All-Winners Snatch Game. Are you guys ready to meet our new crop of celebrities? Yay! Okay, now, up next, it's the legend, the one and only Judy Garland is here. Hello, Rue. Yes. It's, it's so wonderful to be here. It's, <laughs> it's wonderful to be anywhere, really. Yes. You know, I've been dead for quite some time. <laughs> Judy, I've always wanted to ask you, what is over that darn rainbow? Well, it's a set, Rue. It's not, it's not real. It's a cardboard set, darling. It didn't go anywhere. It's Hollywood, yes, of course. Yes. All right, our first question is for Michelle Vassage. Cash. How can you tell Chris Hemsworth Chris Pine and Chris Evans apart. Chris Hemsworth's blank is bigger. Hammer. Hammer. <laughs> Let's go on over to Judy Garland. Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. His blank is bigger. We're looking for Hammer. Broom, I don't know if oh, I'm... No, no. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm playing the game correctly. Well, I, I said... His last name is bigger. Oh, yeah. But I, I feel like I was supposed to have written something filthy. No, 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 no. no. If you want a filthy story, you want that? I'll, I would I'll do it. I want a filthy yeah. story. Oh, yes. yes. Well, did I ever tell you about the time I was in a Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra sandwich? And Frank Sinatra's penis was so big. <laughs> When I was doing a line of coke off of it, I had to stop halfway through to catch my breath. No! You don't say! And now that we're at the midway point, yeah. is that my camera? Oh! <laughs> oh! Of my 
That was good, Judy. Thank that was you. good, Judy. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Michelle Visage. Yes, hit me, baby. Candy Muse has Hell become yeah. a hometown hero back in the Bronx. In fact, they even named a blank after her. A bodega. Candy Muse bodega named after Candy Wouldn't Muse. Wouldn't you shop at that bodega? I, yes. would, I would buy everything there. Thank yeah. you. All right, let's move on down to the great, the one and only Judy Garland. Judy, we're looking for a bodega. Sandwich. Oh, it's a sandwich. <laughs> the Candy Muse sandwich. It's steak and eggs yes. between two pork chops. Okay. I used to make it for Liza when yeah. she was cranky. As a mother would. Of course. And I'd like to take a moment. Is that my camera? Yes. I'd like to take a moment. You see, there's a veteran named Dave who's been on your show, and he said uh, he was worried that he killed me. <laughs> I think I might have killed Judy Garland. And I want to say, Dave, if you're watching, you're not responsible, darling. It's, it's all right. You're forgiven. Yes. There you go. Dave, you're off the hook, honey. That sound means oh. time is up. Oh. Until next time, don't forget to have your snatch Spade and neuter. Yay! Say goodnight, everybody. Goodnight, everybody. Do we have time for one more? Yes, of <laughs> course we do. <laughs> Gentlemen, start your engine. May the first woman So I am here with Jinx Monsoon. Thank you for joining me. Hi there, Jesse. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so... Though a lot of contemporary comedy has been influenced by drag, you're the first proper drag queen we've had on. And oh, what an honor. <laughs> you've had a lot of comedians on your podcast, and sometimes they'll talk about the similarities between starting out. And it, it, it felt like it'd be useful for the listeners who are not that familiar with how drag queens come about. If you can kind of talk about how you, and especially as a comedy leaning queen, how one starts out and how is it similar f- from a comedian? How is it different from a comedian? I lived with a stand-up comedian for like two years, and he's one of my best friends. So, I mean, I know how his process works, and I don't think there's anything really different between (laughs) a drag queen and any comedian. And that's kind of one of my goals in my work, is to show that like a drag queen who's a recording artist or a singer or a musician, or a stand-up comedian, or a model, you know, um, uh, uh, for for probably forever in this industry, <laughs> yeah. it's like drag is used as a qualifier. Like, mm. she's a drag queen comedian, um, rather than just saying she's a comedian <laughs> who does drag, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I feel like there's got to be a language, and there's got to be a way to refer to drag queens for what their talents are without qualifying it and making it sound like there's some kind of subsect of that um, art form or industry, because I feel like it's used as a way to kind of separate us from quote unquote legitimate comedians Mm -hmm. or quote unquote legitimate actors, you know, to put the word drag in front of something you know, maybe it's not done maliciously, but I feel like um, the underlying message is 
she's not an actor. She's a drag queen actor. You know, she's not a comedian. She's a drag queen comedian. When truly we are not doing anything differently <laughs> from the biggest names in these fields. The yeah. only thing we do differently is we have chosen drag as our medium with which to convey those mm -hmm. talents. And, you know, um, but plenty of drag queens, you know, like I, I've always considered myself an actor first and foremost, but that doesn't mean I'm not passionate about drag because yeah. I do my best acting in drag <laughs> because I'm a trans femme non-binary person who gravitates towards female roles because those are the roles that sit most naturally and are most believable from me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that makes sense. I mean, like, it's you You do comedy in bars and venues, and ultimately you do it a bunch, and then you get better at it. It's, like, the most basic of, like, how a comedian starts. And, like, you're doing characters in drag shows, but you're doing characters just like a character wouldn't be doing, a person might be doing at an improv theater or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And if you take out the fact that, like, drag queens, like, lip sync between their, <laughs> you know, like jokes and stuff if you just took out the lip syncing element and took out the like um i mean if you just put put a drag queen on stage hosting a show and took out all the lip sync and then put a stand-up comedian like mm -hmm. right next to her they'd be doing the exact same exact thing, same thing yeah. like a drag queen does all this audience work she has her go-to jokes she has her jokes to get the audience back in order she has her jokes to you know we all have our go-to material and it's it's literally no different than yeah. any stand-up comedian. <laughs> um, so uh, I want to talk about All-Stars, but I want to first start with your first Snatch Game in season five, in which you did yeah. Little Edie from Grey Gardens. Direct from Grey Gardens, it's Little Edie Beal. Oh, hi, RuPaul. How is Big Edie doing? She's always begging for the pate, but the label is faded. I can never tell if it's pate or if it's giblets for the cats. <laughs> By this point, you had been able to see Snatch Games from, you know, season two, three, four. Before deciding what you wanted to do, what were you thinking about what would work? Like, and before you figured out the solution, what did, you, what did you diagnose as like, this is the task? And then how did you get to Little Edie yeah. as the answer? Well, it's funny that I went with little Edie in the end because I always saw a big part of the task is finding someone that is recognizable enough that yeah. she appeals to a broad audience. And because, you know, like you want everyone to be in on the joke with you. And so I was trying to go for some more broad characters for that that I, I thought more of the audience would be able to recognize but in the end, it was just like everyone close to me who, you know, more or less knew what I was working on were like, you'd just be a fool not to do Little mm. Edie. You sound just like her. You know everything about her. You've been doing this character for years. Um, so it was just kind of like, why do anyone else when you know that this is who you want to do? And the fear was, will enough people know yeah. about her? And then my goal became, well, I know that there's going to be lots of people who don't know anything about little Edie. So what can I do to make her funny enough that she stands alone, whether you know who she is or not? And what can I do that's going to make people who see this episode want to go look her up and mm -hmm. find out everything about her? 
And that was kind of, that was my main goal in all of this. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what it is still amazing to think about that you did it. What it really sort of revolutionized in the Snatch Game form is, I'm going to pick a character that is best used for my comedy as like a conduit opposed to like figuring out a character that I can do the voice of and then working backwards. Like you figured out like, oh, this is my way of expressing myself. And like the competition is especially is so much more about you doing the as much as about you doing the impression as is just like here's impression just standing still. And I think that's why it really worked. But (laughs) no one else thought of it that way. Well, it's funny um, because I actually do whenever I find whenever I'm working on someone to impersonate, um, it always starts with the voice for me. Like I don't even waste time on someone, even if I want to impersonate them. I don't waste time on it if I can't do the voice because I feel like the voice like you can do a good impression without the costume, without the wig or the makeup. Like I oftentimes am doing, you know, one of my cabaret shows and I just start going into impressions because all you need is the voice and, and yeah. we'll fill in the rest. So <laughs> I always start with the voice. And then from the voice, I go like, do I know enough about this person where I could sit there and improvise as this person? Because especially for Snatch Game, it's not enough just to have like the character down, you have to have the character down enough that you can sit there and live in that character and remain in character even when you're not talking. Mm. Um, Remain in character so that if you hear an opportunity, like an example is when Ivy Winters was kind of bombing as Marilyn Monroe (laughs) and Marilyn Monroe's from the same era as Little Edie and Little Edie's cousin is JFK and Marilyn Monroe had a famous affair with JFK. And it's like, if I didn't know all of that stuff about my character, A, I wouldn't have seen the opportunity for a joke and I wouldn't have been like in that character's mindset able to make that joke at the drop of a hat. First question for Julie Brown. Lady Bunny is so over politics. When she steps into the voting booth, she just blanks. Pleasures herself with the voting wand. Let's hear what our celebrities have to say. All right, we're going to the original material girl, Marilyn Monroe. She passes out. I think if it was me, it'd be the hard decision making. I get a little little bit lightheaded sometimes. Now you're into politics, aren't you? Presidents and... Ivy totally didn't get the joke. It was an awkward moment. Quite the scandal, actually. Yes. With my cousin-in-law, really. Yes. <laughs> it was in all the magazines at the time. Anyone who thinks impersonating is easy is um, kidding themselves. <laughs> You've got to juggle a lot of skills. Yeah, I think especially in this challenge, I mean, it's really complicated. How did you land on the the little lady voice and sort of the you know, what I would say, like the game or sort of like what will be the sort of comedic thing that you'll be able to revisit as the perspective sort of like, oh, this is what is funny about it that I can sort of stand in. Well, I had to think about my first exposure to Little Edie, which wasn't even the Great Gardens Mm. documentary. It was Christine Ebersol um, in the Great Gardens musical. Um, the very first experience I had with Grey Gardens was Christine Ebersol singing the revolutionary costume for the Tonys. 
I had zero knowledge of this. And all I knew is this, this eccentric woman with a sweater on her head is saying these like really eloquent, but also insane quotes, mm. <laughs> you know, like she's saying things that sound like they make perfect sense. But then when you kind of dissect what she's saying, she's like, oh, I don't, I don't, re is there a reference I'm not getting? And so first I became obsessed with just that one performance. And then that stemmed into the musical. And then once I started hearing some of the songs from the musical, I was like, okay, I got to know what this story is mm -hmm. about. So I went to Movie Madness in Portland, Oregon. And um, uh, I rented the documentary. And then I watched it. And then I basically just started it again. And then that summer... Um, we were moving um, my best friend from Portland to Seattle, and they were moving up to Seattle to live with me. So there was a point where the apartment was completely empty, but we were still living in it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how did we, oh, I just discovered Grey Gardens, and now we're living like Grey Gardens, like immediately. Mm -hmm. um, but I really just, I, I put that DVD on on repeat essentially for weeks that summer and it would be on in the background just as like white noise and mm -hmm. i was just kind of absorbing everything and then i would me and my friends would all get stoned you know early 20s we're all hanging out mm -hmm. in an empty apartment stoned off our asses and i would run back to my bedroom and get dressed as little edie and come out and improv a monologue as little edie quoting you know from the film then I would run and change into Big Edie and come out as Big Edie. And it was, you know, that whole yeah. shtick of they're looking for each other, but they keep missing mm -hmm. each other. And that's really where it started for me. Um, and that was really, I had done voices here and there, and I had done impressions for friends here and there. But that was the first time I was ever like, I bet I could make yeah. a whole number out of this or a whole act out of this. And... um and shortly after, I discovered the the drag impersonation artist Craig Russell, mm -hmm. who um, I think passed away in the late 80s, early 90s. But Craig Russell did this um, live show with a full orchestra in Amsterdam where they came out as different uh, female gay icons. And when they would step out from behind the curtain as the new person, they were just that person mm -hmm. for the duration of that time on stage. And they would sometimes do monologues or sometimes sing songs, but they did everything in the voice of that person. And I was like, this is how good impersonation mm -hmm. can be. If you put in all the right elements <laughs> and if you really hone it, like it can be this good. Um, so... Pretty much since then, since my early 20s, I've just been wanting to be as good as Craig Russell at impersonating. <laughs> um, so the thing that was when, from rewatching those those episodes from season five after now watching All Stars, the thing that sort of that comes across, it's like it's so interesting how they portray you. They, they're, you're like like a little baby who's like me, me winning a challenge. I can't <laughs> believe it. like it's so. Like, and it's clearly in the edit that they're like, we'll make Jinx this sort of like sweet outsider who's like falling mm -hmm. into victory. And <laughs> and then especially as years went on and you had more success, 
How did you think about that? Was there frustration where sort of people were expecting you to be sort of this sweet, innocent and not this sort of more confident, established person? And is that how that influenced how you wanted to approach going to Drag Race the second time? I think it's actually accurate. I mean, I'm confident in my abilities and I was confident in my abilities then. Um, but I mean, I, you know, at the time that I filmed season five, I had been doing drag for like eight or nine years mm-hmm. and I was pretty much used to being disregarded in the drag community because my makeup skills weren't up to snuff and I didn't style my own wigs and I've never had as great a eye for fashion, you know. I, I I think I've definitely found my aesthetic and what works for me and I feel like a gorgeous, fully realized mm-hmm. oh, female persona these days. But um, I was still kind of figuring out some of that stuff. But that's because I had for so long been putting the emphasis on the performance and the performance was what got me through mm-hmm. um it got me all my drag work you know lots of people you know at the end of the day didn't care that my makeup skills were lacking or any of that other stuff because i put on a hell of a good show so i had a lot of confidence in myself as a performer but as a drag queen i didn't want to seem delusional being mm-hmm. like i'm the fiercest bitch in this room <laughs> when i'm like i know my makeup isn't as good as roxy's i know that my you know my fashion isn't as good as detoxes it, it it was kind of just me being realistic you know yeah. i was shocked that i got on with my first audition but i credit that to my videographer alex berry who um, filmed and edited my Drag Race audition much in the same style as he shot and edited my documentary, Drag Becomes Him. Mm. And um, so my audition tape was pretty damn good. Like, (laughs) and I do feel that like, you know, Rue has a hand in the casting. And every time I interacted with Rue, it felt like we had kind of a shared language and that there was like, oh, we we pull from mm-hmm. similar references. And it was actually Rue told me, and I don't think it aired, but she said something like, if you could just get the like glamazon aspect of your drag together, you'd be unstoppable because you have all the other things. We just want to, and then I was like, but I don't really care about that. I kind of like being tacky. I kind of like looking messy. That feels like it works for my character. And she said, but imagine if you were the most glamorous tacky person. Imagine if you were the most fully realized Mm. mess. Like you can keep what you like about it, but turn it up to a hundred. If you're going to be tacky, be over the top tacky. If you're going to have messy makeup, like go for it. Don't don't give us like... Mm you know, just a little bit of this, give us all of it. And that kind of like, it just resonated with me and it made so much sense. I was like, oh, it's almost like luring the the audience in with the glamour. Like, look how gorgeous I am. You're going to see a wonderful, gorgeous drag queen. And then when you get in and you sit down and the show starts, what you actually get is this insane, convoluted, um, very 
precarious um, plot. <laughs> like, yeah. like all my shows are so the, the 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 plot line of all my shows is so convoluted and so crazy. And I feel like if they didn't just think they were coming in for a good old fashioned drag show, they'd probably be scared away at like most of the conceits of my shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, th- so then going into now All Stars, where you're like, now I figured it out, and you and you wanted to be like, let me show that sort of fully realized version of it. Yeah, yeah, because it was, um, and I've said this often, and I have no problem with this. There's no regrets, and there's no hard feelings. This is just the truth of what I dealt with. Um, after season five, I felt like my audience was fully aware of who Jinx, the person creating the drag, mm. the artist behind the drag persona, they knew who that person was. And they came to my shows wanting to meet that, you know, that sensitive uh <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, any way I describe myself is going to sound like I'm <laughs> like a humble brag. But, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, what the audience expected was like, uh, they were expecting Jinx, the the human being, yeah, the yeah. artist. And then when they would get Jinx, the persona, it was a little bit of a shock to a lot of people. Like, they're like, I came to meet Water Off a Duck's back. And what I got instead was like, dick jokes and sex puns and stuff like that. Um, So I really, really wanted to focus on Jinx the character and what I do, like the work that I do um, in All Stars and maybe, maybe lean a little bit less on my personality and my personal story because we already got that in season five. How do you... I this is apologize for how heady this question is, but like, how do you see it? I mean, like I talk to sometimes I'll talk to comedians who have personas and I'll be like, well, and especially if that persona has a name, it's like, well, on stage, you're earthquake, but off stage, you're this person. But like you're you're jinx, right? On stage, Mm -hmm. drinks persona. That is a thing. Jinx is also sort of who you are off off screen on the show. They refer to you as jinx monsoon, even when you're in or out of drag. They Mm -hmm. did that always when you're also in characters or you're doing like. I'm doing Jinx doing drag and that person is doing this impression sort of like mm-hmm. how do you reconcile all these selves or and maybe you don't and then how do how do you think of it that way It's um I have lots of conversations with um one of my um favorite collaborators and one of my best friends Bendela Krem who is also a two-time snatch game winner um also a beloved figure from the drag race universe um (laughs) and one of my best friends we've we've been working together for almost 12 or 13 years now so before either of us were on drag race but so dela bendela cram the persona is fully artifice you know it is all persona whereas jinx monsoon i take a lot from my personal life and put it on stage, but um, it's it's through the filter mm. of you know drag and artifice. So the lines are very very blurry. Yeah. Um, when I came out as non-binary in, at like age twenty four or twenty five, I basically started using Jinx as my full time name. 
So my blood family and my housemates and my um, husband are really the only people who still call me Jarek. Mm. I don't consider Jarek my dead name because I still use that name, but it's more like that's my private name. Got and, it. And most of the world knows, knows some facet of Jinx. Um, I... I feel like Jinx on stage, Jinx the drag persona, you'd never really know what's like if you were just an audience member who walked in off the street, you wouldn't necessarily know what's real and Mm -hmm. what's not. And I like it that way. Like it gives me the freedom to be candid and it gives me the freedom to just talk about something that happened to me that day, but in Jinx's voice and... And it's sometimes, I mean, I sometimes have to really like pick apart like what is true for Jinx versus what's true for me. And like, you know, I got married and there was too much material there to not make it part of Jinx's story too. So Jinx has gotten married as well. And for a while I was like, do I make up, do I make up a name for jinx's husband so he's not my (laughs) husband so and i basically never name him but so you know i do take things from my personal life and put it through the the lens and the filter of jinx and that just normally means taking it to the outrageous level or taking it to the level of like you know like the first two jokes are real and then the third joke is is completely false yeah it's like two truths and a lie (laughs) yeah and you know the difference but it doesn't really matter to the audience they're getting the sense of sort of the the truth of jinx the persona jinx the person off stage the person who's created like all of it is sort of mixed Mm -hmm. to an idea of this is what is true regardless of like what is literally fact about every person um yeah so I, I'll just also say it also varies from show to show because when I'm performing with Dela, it's like literally just Jinx the character. When mm-hmm. I'm performing with my music partner and it's me writing just material for me, that's when the lines are blurred a lot more. And if I was impersonating someone, I do always think it's it's Jinx the human playing Jinx the drag queen who who is then playing that <laughs> character. <laughs> So going into the All-Star Snatch game, did did they tell you it was going to be two? Uh, were there any rules that they gave you? And then knowing that, how did you sort of approach the idea that it, it, it would be two people that won't interact, but like hypothetically could be in conversation conceptually? Well, like based on the information that they gave us, I had a good idea that we should probably go in with two very strong characters. But I, you know, I already was going to go in with like three or four (laughs) because I'm a, you know, I'm a Virgo, a perfectionist, and I'm riddled with anxiety. So even if I was, even if I knew for certain we were just bringing, just going to need one character, I would have brought four or five just to account for any variable um snatch game is one of my favorite challenges to watch one of my favorite challenges to participate in um so i was i was very excited at um the challenge of playing two characters rather than one because i was like oh great this is going to be a chance for me to show off different sets of skills Mm. within the same like challenge like 
I knew I wanted to have two contrasting characters. For a long time, my thought was if I ever went back on Drag Race, I wanted to do where I split down the middle, Judy on one side, Liza on the other side, mm -hmm. so I could be talking back and forth as them. So that they can answer the questions, but then get into a fight with each other? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look out! Do you hear how Liza should sound? Oh, shade if you watched that season. <laughs> so it's just the thing we drag queens do. They're just terrible to each other. But with the two characters, it just that idea became too complicated to try to yeah. pull off. So then I was like, well, I guess I could do Judy and Liza, but I didn't want to do any character that had already been done before because then you run the risk of being compared to that person. So I was mm -hmm. like, Liza's already been done. She's out. And then the immediate thought was, well, then if I'm going to do this like old Hollywood, very classic character, um, I need to do someone very contemporary and new and with a very different vocal quality. Yeah, yeah. And I was also thrilled at the idea of performing someone who's still alive and could actually like see and appreciate it. <laughs> Which got you to Natasha Leone. Yes, Natasha Leone, who um, um, I have tons of mutual friends with Natasha. Um, she starred in the film All About Evil, written and directed and produced by one of my best friends, Peaches Christ. Um, and uh, I'm friends with Clea Duvall, and she had a wedding celebration for her and her wife, Mia. And Natasha reached out and hired me as the entertainment for that. Um, so, you know, like just I was sitting playing video games one morning and I get a phone call. Jinx, it's Natasha. Uh, so uh, basically, I'm Clea's dad. And uh, I'm trying to throw this uh, wedding party for her. So uh, she loves drag. You want to come do uh, some numbers? <laughs> and that was kind of the extent of the conversation. Mm. Um, and my favorite part of that day was I get there early because I'm getting into drag at the, at the venue. It was like a mansion Airbnb. It was an <laughs> Airbnb mansion. Mm -hmm. um, and they had a room for me to get ready in. And Natasha met me at the car and helped me with my suitcases. And she goes, come on in for sound check. Fred's going to be running your sound. Uh, you can meet Fred. Tell him what you need. I'm like, okay, I'll meet Fred. Fred's running my sound. It's Fred Armisen. Yeah. It's and I was like, what? You can't just say Fred's running your sound. And then it's Fred Armisen. 
and he's standing there like pushing buttons and he's like oh hey jinx uh, you got a little mic for you here and <laughs> it was such a surreal night and just one of my favorite experiences because clea's been such a good friend and she invited me to be a part of all of that and um, I just walked around that party just kind of absolutely starstruck. Like, just everyone who's ever been on TV was just at that party. <laughs> so then you're going to do Natasha. How do you start working on someone's voice to get it? Like, what do you, what does it mean to like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do a person's voice? And then also, I imagine in that is like, how do I drag their voice? And how do I make it a comedic impression opposed to like, I'm going for accuracy? How do I make it so I can also then do comedy out of? I guess I just start with, like, right away, I'm like, can I do the voice? You know, like, I love Lucille Ball, but I have never been able to replicate her voice, so I've never done her, you mm-hmm. know? And I would love to do her, but I just can't get the voice right. And the same goes for, like, Bette Midler. Um, uh, I just, like, I, I just try the voice from what I know of that person, and, you know, having done funny voices my whole life it's like it's hard to explain what you do to like change your voice but you just i it's one of those things you either have it or you don't i guess (laughs) because i try to explain it to people like how you can manipulate your throat or your nose or your whatever you have to do and um it's just one of those things if you're good at it you're good at it and I don't even consider myself the best because I watch people like um, Melissa Villasenor and mm-hmm. um, uh, Frank Caliendo, who just literally, like, all of a sudden, this other person's voice is coming yeah, out yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I feel confident in the voices that I do, and so with Natasha, I just was like, "Can I even approximate that rasp?" I think I have a video of me. Um, at my first attempt at it. And it was a lot more like Joan Rivers. Mm-hmm. I had to learn how, where to like pull back and um, how to not go too far with it. So it sounded like Natasha and not Joan Rivers. Um, then I try to think what would be funny to hear this person say? And is there a realm in, uh, of possibility in which that person would actually say this? So, um, you know, like Judy, I'm like, of course, I want to tell stories about Judy Garland having sex with Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, you know, it was just kind of like, is there a realm of possibility where this could happen? Well, of course, they used to sing trio songs together all the time. So it's just like a hop away from that to think of them all in bed together with Judy doing rails of coke off, <laughs> off of their dicks, you know? <laughs> We'll be right back with more Jinx Monsoon. Support for this episode of Good One comes from the Wondery podcast, Wiki Hole. Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued? Or what was in Al Capone's vault? Or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia. But that's okay, because you can learn it all on the new podcast, Wiki Hole, from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes in Wikipedia with host Darcy Carden and her favorite comedian friends as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. And if you listen to Wikihole, you'd learn that that's the sciencey term for eardrum. Wikihole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link to link to link 
careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders, how did we get here? Follow WikiHole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to WikiHole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or an Apple Podcasts. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, click, click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Now back to Jinx Monsoon. Is there a process? Is there a writing process? Are you like talking to friends about it? Like, are there collaborators? I know you're tend to be a collaborative writer. Are you like, mm-hmm. and then, and also like, you don't know the questions and also the questions are so arbitrary. They're just like little mm-hmm. riddles. How do you, <laughs> what types of things do you feel like you need to write? And how may, and maybe it's only the bare bones of things. But some things like it's clearly like, oh, I need to have like a strong joke for like, let's say the opening, right? The opening, you know, yeah. Rue's going to be like, hello. And then it's like, yeah. you can say whatever <laughs> you want. Um, well, I mean, you have to have good improv skills because even if you, even if you like have prepared a lot, you know, like there were things um, for my Judy Garland impersonation the route I took with that was like, I'm just going to answer the question in a way that like, sounds like this is how Judy would answer this question, but how could it then spark an anecdote from her? So it's like, I answered the question sandwich so that then I could talk about making Liza a sandwich. And that was my route with um, Judy. But there were moments like, I didn't know Rue was going to ask Judy, um, what is over that rainbow? But I've always loved the idea of Judy just being extremely um, pragmatic about everything. Like Judy being like very like, because she kind of, there's moments in interviews that I watched where it's kind of like people are like, um, so uh, do you still think of yourself as Dorothy? And she would be like, Oh, Dorothy, no, Dorothy's a character. I don't even have the pigtails anymore, darling. And, and, and I just like the idea of a very pragmatic Judy who yeah, yeah, yeah. is so, like, was raised in Hollywood and has no more, like, glamour or fantasy left in it anymore. So she said, what is over that rainbow? And I said, well, n- nothing. It's a set. It's it's made out of cardboard, Rue. There's nothing there. <laughs> I mean, with Judy, it makes sense that you set, you set that up right away because you're like, it's great to be here. It's great to be anywhere. And then you're like, because I've been dead, which is, I don't, it's it's a brilliant thing to be like, this person is like not, it, they're, they're, you're, there's an awareness to this thing that is, is you bring that other layer to it that sets up like that pragmatic, but also to like the most heightened version of it. I love breaking the fourth wall and <laughs> um and I love staying in character while I break the fourth wall. <laughs> um another a, a moment that didn't air that was one of my favorite moments of improv with Rue who's also very good at improv. Um she said Rue said something that set me up to talk about my kids. I can't even remember, but I said, "Well, yes, I'm a I'm a mother of 3, you understand. I've got 
Liza, Lorna, and the other one. <laughs> and and Rue said, Joey. And I said, yes, I know my son's name, damn it. Like, <laughs> what are you trying to imply? Of course I know his name is Joey. I was making a joke. And like... <laughs> and like and so it was both me, the artist, like explaining the joke to to mm. Rue, but also staying in character as Judy. And I just, I love, what I love about drag is, drag is so many things all at once. Cabaret is so many things all at once. You know, you're doing a show, it's probably scripted, but there's also room for improv. You're singing, so it's kind of a musical. It's kind of stand-up comedy. You're talking directly to your audience, so there's no fourth wall, but then also you're in character, so there's some kind of fourth wall. I love working in this realm of, like, there are no hard definitions or, yeah. or strict lines. <laughs> I mean, it, what's amazing is you figured out how to take that sort of like there are no rules quality to the show which does have rules and does have certain boundaries and especially as time has gone on there's certain sort of like well this is how we all do it we don't move and then you're like i'm going to push it you took over the show you were like okay, i'm gonna do this i'm gonna like lead the way <laughs> it's i've learned with drag race it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission Mm -hmm. But also, I will, I, I mean, I think lots of credit is due to production on this all-winter season. They really, you know, they told us from the get-go, we want to celebrate all the winners. And I think, I think they knew that not a, nary a winner would agree to, <laughs> to doing another season if they thought, oh, they're gonna like, they're gonna set me up for... <laughs> The plot twist, you know, they made sure that we knew we were all going to be celebrated and that this season was more about like doing a victory lap than, mm. you know, the same kind of competition it usually is. And so they made sure like we had everything we needed every step of the way to do the full realization of what we wanted to do. So they came up to each of us and said, "Do you are your characters going to need anything mm. for a Snatch Game that's really going to like take it that extra step. And I said, all I need is a microphone, a corded microphone, and the cord has to be impossibly long. It needs to like go on forever. And they gave it to me and I was like, that's all I need. I'm I'm gonna just run with all the, every single idea that I have. This is my last chance. I'll probably never, you know, I know I'm never competing on Drag Race again. <laughs> so... It's like, go for all of it or yeah. regret not having tried. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if you told the camera person that you might, like, want to lock eyes with them. But that, that they no. were able to. <laughs> um, so so how, many, how much do you have written ahead of time? How much do you leave room to not? Like, or is writing just thinking about the person so much that you know everything? Like, or are there lines you want to make sure you get to? Um, some of it, you know, some of it was me relying on jokes that... I already tell in my material. Yeah. Like I used to um I used to do jokes about Trixie Mattel's dick being so big that when I did a line of coke off of it, I had to stop halfway through to catch my breath, you know. Getting ready together in the same dressing room and um, she likes to walk around naked a little bit. <laughs> and I can tell you guys, Trixie's got a big old dick. <laughs> I'm a size queen and she's got a big dick, you guys. <laughs> 
Her dick is so big, when I was doing a line of coke off of it, I had to stop halfway through to catch my breath. <laughs> When I was doing a line of coke off of it, I had time to reflect and realize I've become my mother. <laughs>is a joke I just had in my back pocket. And I'm like, oh, I bet Judy telling that joke about Dean Martin would be hilarious. And it actually got cut, but I um, I did the same joke twice. But one time I said, Dean Martin's dick was so big. Mm -hmm. And then the next time I said, Frank Sinatra's dick was so big, but it was the exact same joke twice. Then so, because uh, the way I planned it is by the time I was doing the roast and I made that joke a third time as myself, I was like, and thus completing the rule of threes. Anyway, here's some dick jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Evie Oddly's dick is so big, when she tucks, she has to tape it between her shoulder blades. <laughs> Evie Oddly's dick is so big, it has its own heartbeat. <laughs> But then it was also the broken expectation because I set the joke up the same way I did as Judy, but then it had a different punchline. And I was hoping everyone would think, oh, Jinx must have forgotten she's already told this joke, but yeah, now yeah, it's yeah. a new punchline. It's actually a callback. You know, I had this whole fucking thing. I was mapping out my journey on Drag Race All-Stars like, like Marvel maps out a mm -hmm. franchise, you know, like... First, we're going to introduce the Green Lantern, and then three episodes later, you're gonna find out that the Green Lantern is part of the whole multiverse of madness, you know? Like. <laughs> um, how did you then, the, the, you know, the thing that's the other layer of doing impressions, is right? Is Green like, Lantern Marvel? No, no, I didn't want to correct him. I was <laughs> like, I don't need a call. I don't need is a call DC? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I pretty much only watch the X-Men movies. <laughs> I only like Marvel movies with witches and, and X-Men in them. <laughs> Ooh, there's about to be more. I, mean, I well, know, because Marvel, yeah. Marvel finally owns X-Men again. <laughs> the last one had both witches and an X-Men in it. I know. I did, I did love um, multiverses. <laughs> so the difference between like an SNL impression is that you conceive of these people and then like for hours beforehand, you have to do the makeup to look somewhat like this person how is the makeup part of it how do you think of it how's the, how are these characters makeup different than the jinx makeup mm -hmm. um this is a question i just truly have never been able to ask a comedian because they've never put themselves into a character like this how is it part of it with judy i did little tricks to kind of change the shape of my face but you know there's this um, point where it's kind of like my face is different from hers so i can do things but um, I wouldn't say, like, I've seen queens who really, their makeup and just the way their face naturally looks. Yeah. Lots of lots of drag queens only do characters that they already look like, you know? Like, um, I have a friend, um, it's actually Thirsty Burlington, who um, I mentioned in the episode, who kind of unlocked and inspired my Judy... Um, impersonation and who gave me the blessing to kind of take what I learned from her Judy impersonation to do my own. Um, she just naturally without any makeup just kind of looks like Cher. So <laughs> of course she's going to impersonate Cher. Um, yeah. For me, you know, like I just kind of, I do enough of what I need to do that you would believe me as that character, yeah. but I don't worry too much about like, 
I don't have the same skills as like the Vivian who, when she like did Dolly Parton, she looked like fucking Dolly Parton. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's really good at transforming her face. But for me, it was more about the costume, the wig and the mannerisms. And then with Judy, I kind of changed the shape of my nose through contouring and highlight, changed the shape of my eyes. Um, with Natasha, the hair did all the work, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I just kind of copied her makeup style. But I was like, there's no way. Ta- Natasha's this tiny, petite little person, and I'm a hulking drag queen. So I was like, I already had an outfit made, inspired by one of Natasha's um, uh, Vogue, co- uh, Vogue mm. shoots, because I just liked the outfit. So I had my designer copy it. So I just had that already. I had my wig designer make a Natasha Leone wig, and the next thing I know, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm Natasha Leone. Yeah. But like mega sized. <laughs> yeah, the hair is a cartoon version of what her hair is yeah. normally like. You mentioned Thirsty Burlington, and and I think you've mentioned that idea that you, you know, they were the inspiration, that they were sort of the like starter dough that your ventral mm-hmm. version what what does that look like what was their impression like and then sort of what did you do to change it like i think there's a lot of curiosity of like what does that actually mean to learn an impression through mm-hmm. somebody well at the time that i like experienced thirsty's judy i was doing liza a lot in my shows and um, we were thirsty and I were in Provincetown after our shows one night drinking, um, swapping war stories. And I started saying something like, mama, you crazy mama. Why, why are you talking about that? No one wants to hear about it, mama. And then she turns to me and, um, I, it's like, you know, now I can only hear my own voice doing it. But sure. she turned to me, and with one eye closed, she was like, Liza, are you hungry? And you get this way when you're hungry. I'll make you a Salisbury steak sandwich. And I just was like, oh, for so long, the only impersonations I had seen of Judy were Judy as... Dorothy, hmm. like, oh, I don't want to do I'm not a witch at all. And I was like, that's not as funny as Judy towards the end of her life off, <laughs> off camera, you know, mm-hmm. like, I was like, oh, this is so much more endearing and, and like, uh, raw and candid, you know, like, and then I started watching Judy and, interviews and i was like oh my god thirsty has like tall like i had never had any interest in impersonating judy until thirsty did that voice and i was like that's the judy i would want to do not dorothy you know (laughs) not one of her characters but judy in interviews and it's funny because like in interviews judy she's not great at accepting compliments she's kind of she's kind as she kind of is protective of herself she's always kind of like hunched over and like kind of covering up her chest and or kind of she's got a lot of little like hand mannerisms and she always seems a little like just the tiniest bit bewildered and that like just really resonated with me and that's the judy that i was like oh now i want to do judy because i hadn't even considered this side of her 
yeah, even hearing how you talk about her, it's like you're like this ind- the sort of balancing of like what you find endearing about this part of her mm-hmm. with what is funny about sort of what you know about the sort of more tragic parts of her life. Had you thought about how do you f- and it and it probably just came from doing it for years, you figured out sort of where the line was, but like wanting to be honest about these things, you want to make jokes about it, also wanting to express a certain more mm-hmm. amount of compassion to this. How did you sort of balance that? How do you think about that thing that I think is really hard for queens in this, which is like you want to make fun of these celebrities, but you don't want to be too reverent. You don't want to be too irreverent. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you think, how do you try to balance that? Well, I, um, you know, Rue always says you can't love the characters so much that you're afraid to poke fun at them. Mm. But then I say, yes, that's true. And you have to love the character enough that you want to be them, like that you want to portray them. And I would say that I really started to find the line um, when I started doing roast tours with other drag queens. Mm -hmm. And um, I did this show for years called The Haters Roast, where each queen got up and roasted the seven other queens. It was a very long show, but it was one of my favorite things I've ever done. And it was like, of course, we're saying horrible, horrible things about each other, but I've never laughed so hard, you know, like, and I feel like, especially amongst queer people, you know, roasting is a part of drag culture. You know, we call it reading, we call it shade, but um, roasting's just... it's interwoven into drag culture. And I think the value there is, is that when we laugh at ourselves first, we take the power away from the actual enemies out there. You know, like if someone's made a fat joke about me and it's really funny, I'm like, Oh, that's hilarious. And then the next time someone says something mean about my weight, I'm like, if you can't deliver it to me in a punchline, you're not even trying, you know, like, like it it takes all the power away from the real hateful comments. So I kind of guess I treat it like that. Like, I don't know how Judy would have felt about the Coke off the dick joke, you know, snorting Coke off the dick, but everything else, I feel like I wanted to create comedy that if the person had the chance to see it they would laugh because they would know that it's coming from a place of reverence and it's coming from a place of like playful roasting rather than you know let's say when detox was kesha and she decided (laughs) to piss on the stage you know (laughs) and i was lucky enough that natasha got to see my natasha leone and she loved it and Um, she reposted it and, um, so I felt like mission accomplished. I was able to make this funny and reverent and, you know, the person who I'm impersonating was in on the joke with me. How long is a taping of each Nash game section? Like I, I've always, you know, they cut it down so much. Like you're Natasha, mm-hmm. you essentially get two lines in, but like how long is the taping and how do you think about pacing? your character to both win and also sort of have enough stuff that they can edit. You know, like at this level, I assume you understand like, okay, so I needed to win. So I need Rue to get it. I need to also have enough variance in terms of things so they can edit together an interesting thing. How did you, so how much time and how do you think about that? Oh, well, that day was so long. Um, 
I would say maybe we filmed each snatch game for like an hour and a half, maybe two hours. <laughs> wow. With just having to like stop and reset certain things. And um, and then we had like an hour and a half between the two snatch games to change characters. Um, and I remember we were all exhausted and being under those lights for the whole day. Um Rue Rue was like clearly like okay we got to get to the end of this and was very tongue in cheek about it but Rue was just like okay and now we got to go to this person and get their answer <laughs> like we were we were all kind of feeling fatigued by the end of the second one but it was still fun like we were all still laughing but it was a very long day and the thing I'll say about the all winter season is because they really wanted to go really big with everything. You know, we had the light up runway, we had the the reveal runway, we had all of these really complex runways and really complex challenges, like taking all the challenges we're used yeah. to and adding another layer to it. So every single filming day was the longest day of our lives. <laughs> you know? <laughs> We were all so drained by the end of it, but now we get to look back on like this really stellar season. Um, so it's it's easy to look back on it and be proud, but during the filming, we were all just constantly like zombies. <laughs> yeah. I want to ask you about two of my favorite jokes from from your Judy. It was one is when you call RuPaul Room, Room, like, yeah, Room. <laughs> if if. <laughs> If I could tell you the backstory behind that, it's literally an inside joke between Alaska and I. Um, and I think I think Ben's um, also, Dela's been um, in on the joke for some time too. But Alaska and I were constantly doing impressions of Alyssa Edwards' impersonation of Katy Perry that was so baffling that we couldn't help but just make a whole character based on just that impression. But Alyssa Edwards's voice is already extremely unique. And mm -hmm. then her voice trying to do Katy Perry was just more Alyssa than even Alyssa normally talks. And uh, we kept joking that she, like as Katy Perry, Rue asks Alyssa, um, have you ever kissed a girl? And Alyssa went, Rue, never, Rue. And then it just kind of devolved into broom, never. Uh, <laughs> so when I called Rue broom, um, it was the tiniest little Easter egg, pretty much <laughs> just for Alaska. <laughs> and then the Dave thing to call out mm. the fact that this guy from seasons before and you had to figure out how to do it in a way where people knew what the hell you were talking about um mm. talk about feeling in that moment like i'm gonna do this callback from nine years past i had that plan the whole time but i wasn't sure i was gonna use it because there was this part of me that was like will dave find this funny if i bring it up again i mean like dave was actually very upset i was like or could this actually be kind of cathartic mm. for dave like me as judy garland reminding him that he's not responsible for her death <laughs> and ruid had that talk with him too like 
um, Dave, you can't, like, if she didn't get the prescription from you, she would have gotten it from someone else, you know? The whole story is so crazy, but also just kind of like, that's why you love Drag Race. Like, where else do you get to hear these kind of stories on TV? But um, I said, if I feel like it's going well, I'm going to go for it. And the snatch game is Judy was going so well that I was like, well, Every other joke has landed. Might as well go for the coup de gras. Like, um, uh, so I looked directly into the camera and I brought up Dave. And I remember looking over at Rue, and Rue was just standing there, furrowed brow, like, what the hell is she talking about? And then Rue looked over at Michelle, and Michelle kind of like nodded. And Rue was like, Oh, 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 and then doubled over laughing. And I was like, okay, this worked. Bullseye, hit it out of the park. Sorry, ladies, I just won Snatch Game. Yeah, the way they edited it made it seem like they all knew you won. Like this sort of, they're just like, wow, we just sort of saw someone win. We're all going to do our best, but like, wow. Well, I was so nervous going into it because the last time I had competed, Snatch Game was kind of this like turning point for me and kind of the thing from season five that stood out Yeah, for my entire career. I mean, I still get people coming up to me, um, you know, talking about Little Edie and I love that. Um, but the pressure was definitely on. So I think the challenge I prepared the most for was Snatch Game. Like everything else, all other preparation came secondary to preparing yeah. for Snatch Game. Um, was there other things, since you prepared so much, do you, I want to give you opportunities to share anything that was cut that you feel like you wish was aired um, from either of the characters? Well, I, I talked about how I did the the cocaine joke yeah. twice. Um the the Joey joke, the Liza Lorna and the other one. I was really proud of that because of that moment of improv of, well, yes, Rue, I know my own kids' names. Um, but no, I feel like I feel like they got everything that needed to get in there. One of my favorite Rue didn't really get the joke. Like <laughs> I feel like it was the one joke that Rue was kind of like, huh? But um my one of my favorite jokes is Natasha, and it did air was when I said uh, things aren't going great. I quit smoking today. And then I lift up a cigarette and light it. And she goes, well, what's that? And I go, it's a cigarette. I didn't say it was going well. Like, <laughs> I thought that was just hilarious. But different things make different people laugh. The idea that RuPaul has to laugh or not laugh for four <laughs> hours straight is like actually almost more, not as impressive. The idea that they have to perform laughing. I don't think anyone loves jokes more than RuPaul. I mean, when, like, RuPaul, if it's funny, it's funny. Like, mm. Ru doesn't care if it's a corny dad joke or if it's the filthiest thing you've ever heard, just as long as it's funny. Yeah. And so any moment, like, this was true for season five and this was true for All Stars, but any moment that I was insecure about what I was doing or maybe one of the the other contestants was like getting in my head or getting in my way. <laughs> I I looked at those moments that I made Rue laugh and I was like, I'm 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 just gonna stay the course because as long as Rue is still laughing, I gotta keep doing what I'm doing. Um, would you like to know some other characters I considered? 
Yes, please. <laughs> I um, was really strongly considering Jennifer Coolidge, but she has been done and drag queens do her to death. But she was one of the first impersonations I realized I was good at was, um, wow, you know, I just love getting to do what I do. And what I feel like a lot of people forget about Jennifer Coolidge is she kind of has this back of the throat thing sometimes. Like, <laughs> um, I also was really heavily considering Jennifer Tilly, but I can only do her at a whisper level. Mm. And I didn't know if it would read on Snatch Game, but I really like, you know something, Anne? If you move around too much while you're pregnant, your baby might be born with lobster claws. <laughs> um, I wanted to do Catherine O'Hara, but that's just a Moira Rose <laughs> impression yeah, yeah, yeah. at this point. I'm trying to think of other uh, other I, people. I heard you want you almost in Meryl, which is Meryl oh, yeah. Streep, which seems really hard because, like, as well, it is. <laughs> what was it going to be? Well, I play Meryl in Peaches Christ's drag parody show, um, Drag Becomes Her. Mm. Um, but I've basically watched that movie so many times that I can mimic the lines from that yeah. movie as Meryl. Like, I didn't lose it, it broke off, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it's very specific to just doing those lines. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when I was trying to do Meryl outside of the world of Death Becomes Her... I never got past the point of just making noises. So I realized, and why I switched from Meryl to Judy is because it was like three days before check-in, and I was like, I still have a fully non-verbal Meryl. I've still not figured out how Meryl would speak. And then also when I did do things that I thought was pretty funny as Meryl, it was a slow burn, mm. and Snatch Game has to be like quick, quick, quick. Yeah, yeah. So at the point where I decided not to do Meryl, my Meryl was pretty much just this. Like that's literally all it was. Mm -hmm. But I felt Pretty confident with nonverbal Meryl. <laughs> yeah. Uh, over the pandemic, you posted a video on YouTube of your SNL audition. I don't know if it was mm -hmm. a, a real SNL audition that you submitted through the channel. I know you, you have friends there. Was it a real SNL audition? It, it was a real SNL audition. And I didn't really follow the rules because they wanted some impersonations and then they wanted some original characters. And I filmed some of my original characters, but I didn't know how to convey, like, how do I convey yeah. Kitty Whitless, the 1920s vaudeville character <laughs> that I play? And how do I convey, like, Jinx Monsoon in her 80s, which is basically just a cheap Betty Davis, you know? like, um, And Jinx Monsoon is just so much me. I don't even know how to, like... How do but I do a snapshot of Jinx Monsoon? How do you, so, like, recondense it back to, like, yeah. a little thing? So I decided it, yeah. Um, yeah. just to lean in on what I was good with, with the impersonation. So I don't know if not following the rules uh, counted against me, but I was like, if they're good enough, they're good enough. <laughs> I mean, we talked a little bit at the beginning. Is Do you see there is a difference between like the impressions that happen on SNL and the way you think of impressions? Like, 
is there a sensibility or anything to like whatever a drag person or and and maybe in some ways you you show the line between that there is no distinction like there obviously are impressions on snatch game that are not like snl impressions but you're Mm. somewhere you can i can see you how you can play in both spaces yeah well what i love about snl and why um why i still have a sincere interest on you know i i I haven't auditioned again yet, but I would definitely audition again. What I love is it's not just an impersonation. It's Liza Minnelli tries to turn off a lamp. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about doing drag impersonations too, is like, I love coming up with a bit. I love coming up with business for that person to do. And my favorite impersonations are when it's like, imagine Meryl Streep at a Sabaro. <laughs> You know, um, imagine Liza Minnelli tries to turn off a lamp. When I saw that sketch, I was just like, Jesus Christ, this is one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen. And, um, you know, I don't necessarily always do that, but I always take my impersonations to an absurd level. Like, Mm. I had this bit for a long time that I did, which was Cher degrading into a basset hound. And my audiences loved it, where it was like, it's very loud, so I'm going to step back a little bit, but it was... Oh, thank uh... you. Do you believe love love? I love taking everything to an absurd level, and... SNL does that. You know, they don't... Yeah. They Very rarely, it's just like, look at this person do this impersonation. It's interesting, like watching your seasons back there is a right it's like they take things to the absurd level that you understand and like it it I, i'm trying to think of how to phrase this but like i think a lot of the impressions are on drag race there's there's heightening and everything's sort of louder they're, everything's bigger mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily more sideways mm-hmm. um i had one colleague who we were talking about it and we we're talking about how your relationship sort of like campiness is a little bit different than other comedy queens especially comedy queens who sort of play older women can can you talk about that like how you see your comedy different than some of those sort of queens that i don't think people would compare you to but sort of are in that lane of like playing older women just sort of like where campiness is a big part of the comedy is there a distinction is there nuances i mean like um are you pulling from also other touchstones that i think separate it like i i I think um you know, a lot of my, a lot of just my comic sensibility is heavily inspired by vaudeville and Borscht Belt comedy. Mm-hmm. Part of that's like being raised on I Love Lucy. Um, and then also, uh, you know, there's times where I know that Will and Grace did a whole I Love Lucy parody episode. But even before that it was like oh the nanny the nanny yeah. was just like i love lucy and will and grace had so many i love lucy moments before they even like made that distinction and that parallel um and there's so much like good comedy that just you know is derived from the original like vaudeville setups mm-hmm. and then there's also what i was talking about because i most of my work is in cabaret you know, I do a lot of musical theater as well where there is a hard fourth wall and I'm mm. playing a character and I never break and I never address the audience directly. But with Cabaret, 
you're talking directly to the audience. And even if it's me and Ben de la Creme on stage or me and Major Scales and we're having dialogue between us, we're always aware of the audience. The audience is always a character in the show with us. And I think that's one big distinction of like how I perform yeah. even on Drag Race is, you know, I find moments to let the camera in on the joke so that the audience feels like they're being brought mm. into what I'm doing. Um, oftentimes it gets cut out because they don't want me looking directly at the camera and breaking the fourth wall that way. But there were lots of times where Rue would, Rue and I would be riffing and then I'd look at the camera and say, did you hear that? <laughs> and that's like kind of what I do on stage. And I think maybe if there is a distinction between me and the other campy comedy queens, it would probably be that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there, there's something, even in that, it just feels very, like, I know you're, like, a big Simpsons fan and big Futurama mm -hmm. fan. That that sort of, like, a reverence to even the form that you're in feels very contemporary while also still having the reverence for the older style. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I my humor has largely been influenced by the Simpsons and Futurama and then more recently, like, Rick and Morty and... Um, I just, I mean, I'm, I'm an adult child. Almost everything I watch is animated. And even though I made that huge faux pas by saying Marvel and Green Lantern, which I'm still <laughs> embarrassed about for your listeners, I was just, you know, words were just coming to my head. I didn't think hard enough. But um, anyway, <laughs> I am a big comic movie fan. And um, I think there's so much tongue in cheek humor and so much self-referential stuff yeah. in uh, those films as well. I'm like really hard to, I'm really hard pressed to watch anything sad or too dramatic. I'm, I really love living in the world of comedy and the darker, the better. <laughs> uh, so you won. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. um, you're the you. queen of all queens. And I was thinking about how you and a handful of other winners or sort of handful of the sort of bigger drag queens are like forging a new frontier of like what does it mean to be a successful drag queen with resources like we're at a time where drag queens a big drag queen will have large audiences will have opportunities to like make things and what is it like to be that what do you see the potential of this this platform now that people are investing in and now and, and look it's still slow compared to other things but like how do you see the sort of road ahead for drag as you as now sort of in this position is sort of helping show the the options for it, I guess. I think we are on the path to achieving what I was talking about at the very beginning. You know, Bianca Del Rio is playing Wembley Stadium, is playing Carnegie Hall, is playing these incredible venues and selling out. So if any comedian wants to like classify her as anything less than a stand-up comedian or some <laughs> kind of subsect of stand-up comedian, I'd like to ask that comedian, have you ever sold out Carnegie Hall? You know, like, have you ever sold out Wembley Arena? Trixie Mattel has not only top charts with her music, um, Alaska's top charts with music, but Trixie now also has her own reality TV makeover show, like um, home renovation, like she built a motel. Yeah. You know, like I think what we're seeing, uh, Bob the Drag Queen and Shangela and Eureka, you know, their show just won an Emmy. They're in there, they're filming their third season of We Are Here. Like anyone who wants to try to 
diminish what drag queens are capable of needs to <laughs> pack up their dressing room because your time is over. Like, like honestly, like, I mean, we, any way in which you could try to diminish us, we've already proven wrong. Like, yeah. I just will say it again, Bianca Del Rio sold out Carnegie Hall. Like, suck on that for three seconds before <laughs> you try to say that, like, she's anything less than a stand-up comedian. And... I, you know, I did Drag Race 10 years ago, kind of before it turned the corner. And I don't feel like I, you know, got to show everything that I was good at. And now All Stars has given me this reintroduction to the audience where it's at now, the audience at large. And it's, you know, it's, I've considered it my demo reel moving forward. Mm -hmm. So my hope is, you know, in the same ways that I was just talking about, um, Bob, Trixie, Alaska, Bianca. I want to do that kind of thing with acting and um, and creating my own work. Like Ben DeLaCrim yeah. and I create our own shows. We hope to keep writing um, things for film and television. And I, if I said like I had a fantasy goal, it's that Dela and I would create the next Broad City for for ourselves you know i'm so inspired by abby and alana and the fact that they created it from the ground up and then you know had had uh, they were in charge in all the different levels and by the end they were directing and producing the whole show themselves and uh, i'm like comedy is better when no one gets yeah. involved trying to make it about money you know when it's the artists creating the comedy not the producers or if the artists are the producers. <laughs> yeah. and, and how do you reconcile this sort of like a art form that means something to a specific community that sort of like inherently was created to be anti the mainstream to then it's embraced by the mainstream? How do you sort of reconcile these things? Is there and yeah, like not to say that it's a tension, but sort of like how do you feel about it? How do you sort of want to keep true to what it is while also accepting these new po possibilities. What does it mean for drag in that way of, you know, it meant for something to specific people that now it means more to more people, you know, how do you, how to fit it in? I think it's twofold. Cause I think becoming more mainstream has asked drag queens to evolve. And um, I would say that drag got away with a lot of things in back in the day. And we are seeing that that's mm. not true anymore, you know, and personally, you know, as a drag queen from the Pacific Northwest, who's trying to be very mindful and progressive, I'm happy to see certain drag traditions fall by the wayside now that it's become more mainstream. I'm glad that certain drag queens aren't getting away with um, racist <laughs> material or gynophobic material or misogynist material, you know? I'm happy to see that evolution. But then I also hope that we retain the like, straight people can enjoy this, but this is for queer people by queer people. So I want straight people to enjoy it. Just like I'm sure, you know, like, uh, you know, as a as a white human being, I can enjoy comedy of um, POC comedians. Um, but I know that it's created by 
that person for their community Mm -hmm. and that I am a guest to it. And I want straight people to enjoy our work, but never forget that they are our invited guest. This is not all of a sudden theirs, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I want them to to be invited as a a spectator, but not claim any ownership. It is very hard for straight white people to enjoy something without trying to claim ownership of it, you know? Fair. <laughs> so now it's time for the final segment of the show. It's called, a, it's called The Laughing Round. It's like a lightning round, but because mm-hmm. this is a comedy podcast, uh, I call it The, the Laughing Round. Um, do you have a favorite joke joke, like a street joke or dad joke? Oh, God. I don't know this is my favorite, but whenever I have to tell a joke, this is what I say. <laughs> what did one gay frog say to another gay frog? What? Rim it, rim it. <laughs> I, 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 I don't even like the joke. It's just, it's always there. Oh, yeah. and then I have one more. I have one more. Um, why do anarchists only drink herbal tea? Why? Because proper tea is theft. <laughs> wow um <laughs> is there a joke or character or sort of anything in in your in the art form of drag that you wish you could steal that you can wish that you thought of it that wish you had it that it was part of your drag oh all the time all the time i see things and i'm like god i wish i thought of that i'm trying to think of one specifically well, there was one um, drag queen, Dallas Dela Force, um, who's part of the. Well, she was part of um, a circus show called Briefs from Australia, and she brought out one of those treadmills that doesn't have anything but the treadmill, mm-hmm. so that she could be walking in place on the stage, but have the dynamic movement of walking, and then it could speed up, and she was running. You know, yeah, I yeah. thought that was so brilliant. Um, One of the first numbers I wish I could steal was, and now I realize it's been done to death, but I was like 16 when I first saw it and I wish I had thought of it, but it was um, a drag queen dressed as Mary Poppins doing spoonful of sugar, but she was snorting cocaine. And every time she snorted cocaine out of the spoon, the track would speed up a little bit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And by the end, she was like, (laughs) I like that. <laughs> um, do you have a short story of an interaction with a legendary comedian, drag queen, comedy maker that you'd be willing to share with us? Yeah, um, Kathy Griffin. I was about to introduce her backstage. The uh, San Francisco uh, Men's Chorus was honoring, was it the Men's Chorus or the Gay Men's Chorus? I don't want to get that wrong. Anyway, some gay singers were... <laughs> <laughs> Um, the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus was honoring Kathy Griffin that night, and I got to introduce her as the MC. And I, you know, was getting a brief little talk with her backstage. We, of course, have the same color hair, and we were wearing the same color dress that night. And I was just like, I never thought I'd be like impersonating you when I met you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I was like, you look like Kathy Griffin and I look like I ate Kathy Griffin. <laughs> and um, then she went on stage and introduced herself. And she's like, hi, I'm Kathy Griffin, otherwise known as Jinx Monsoon's mom. And I just felt like, oh, that would just like, it meant so much to me to just even hear my name come out of her mouth. <laughs> um, do you have any advice for an upcoming, aspiring drag queen comedian, anyone? trying to pursue any of this 
if there aren't roles out there for you, create the role. Um, uh, don't be afraid to create your own work if if the work that you want to do isn't readily available. It's definitely the harder route, but when it works, it works so well that you'll be glad you did it. <laughs> Nothing against the people you competed against. They're all fantastic queens. Mm-hmm. Are Were there people that if you showed up and they were there, you had been scared or more nervous or anything in terms of like, oh, this is going to be even harder than I ever imagined? Were there queens that, or even you're excited or... Yeah, Alaska and Bob, partially because of how wildly talented they are, but also partially because of them being my very, very good friends. I, I mean, I was close with Monet and Raja, but um, Alaska and Bob and I, I think, make a lot of the same jokes and have a lot of the same sense of humor. So it would have been hard to shine against the two of them if they were there to, like, give me a run for my money. <laughs> And lastly, do you have a, a, a joke or an impression that you thought was so funny you tried an amount of times and it just never worked, but you will go to your grave being like, man, that was funny. I don't know what people <laughs> didn't see it. Um, yeah, I have this joke right now in my show that gets a very mixed response. And I thought I thought when I told this joke, the audience was just going to explode. And so far, I get either a mild response or a mixed response. But I say every night, um, talking about the planet, climate change, and where we're at, I said, I think we're at a place in time where the only reasonable course of action is to cut and run, just like my dad. (laughs) And I thought that was hilarious. And the audience always gets really mixed up about it. And then I tease them for I'm like what if humor's my way of coping <laughs> like uh, how dare you did you all come from blessed childhoods that you look down on me for that joke besides it's not even serious how could I be abandoned by someone I never met and <laughs> and I double down it's not even true I've met my dad a handful of times <laughs> Perfect. Uh, that That is it. Thank you so, so much. I really Thank appreciate you your Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs> That's it for another episode of Good One. You can watch old episode of RuPaul's Drag Race and Drag Race All-Stars on Paramount+. Plus. Jinx's sketch series, Sketchy Queens, premieres on World of Wonder Plus this fall. You can get Jinx's podcast, Hi Jinx, wherever you listen. Follow Jinx on Twitter, at Jinx Monsoon, and on Instagram, at The Jinx. Good One is produced by myself, Johnny Carter, and Camila Salazar. Gavin Shrikashin did our theme song. Write our view and rate the show on Apple Podcasts. Five stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back next Thursday. Have a good one. Welcome to Good One. Show about talking them jokes. Mm, son. Hey, 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 Good One. It's a Good One. Support for this episode of Good One came from the Wondery podcast, WikiHole. WikiHole takes listeners on a wild journey through the most bizarre catacombs of everyone's favorite crowdsourced online encyclopedia. Listen to host Darcy Carden and her funniest comedian friends dive deep into the obscure, the absurd, and the curiously inane. There's truly something for everyone with a taste for oddly fascinating information. Whether you're interested in Crystal Pepsi, Lenny Kravitz, or how Carden's fear of dolphins connects to Stetson hats. 
Follow Wikihole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Wikihole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. 